everybody. It's the Fan Drive Time Sportsnet 590. The Fan, I'm Ben Ennis. We got another Blue Jays baseball game coming your way at 7 o'clock tonight as Blue Jays continuing their series in Cleveland against the Guardians. Yesterday could not extend the winning streak to five. New wrinkle to the inability to hit with runners in scoring position. How about this one? Get a couple of hits with runners in scoring position and don't score. Blue Jays were two for eight yesterday with men in scoring position. Uh, Both of those hits, though, of the infield variety. David Schneider, though, he's still unbeaten, was not in the lineup yesterday. I'd expect him back in there today against the uh, lefty. And you say Kikuchi, man. Wow, what a bounce back season for him. So seven innings, one run, three hit ball. Is ERA down to 3-5-3? That would be a career low. In fact, Blue Jays, as you you saw on the broadcast, they brought up a a board of this nature, uh, have four qualified starters with ERAs under four, and in the top 33 of all of baseball. Got to score some runs, though, which they were unable to do yesterday. Perhaps better times ahead tonight in Cleveland. That's where we find Dan Schulman. Hello, Dan. How's it going? Uh, hello, Ben. How are you? I, I'm, I'm doing very, very well. Let's, let's talk about the good uh, before we get to, I guess, the, the inability to score against a very good Guardians um, starting staff, though. Uh, Yusei Kikuchi has been ridiculous this season, uh, as have uh, four of, of, well the five, now six uh, Blue Jays starters. But I, I posed the question yesterday, if the playoffs started today and it's a three-game wild card series, is Yusei Kikuchi starting game three? This is my second radio interview in the second uh, time. The first question has been that exact question. So, what? Someone's stealing uh, my stuff. Yeah, I won't tell you who. So who are you giving game two to? Jose Barrios? I think, I think Barrios has earned it for yeah. me. Yeah, I, I think, uh, first of all, as you know, the oldest thing in baseball is these things have a way of sorting themselves out. But uh, it might come down to matchups. Like, is uh, you know, depending on what team they're playing, are they more vulnerable against righties or lefties? Chris Bassett's been really good, really good. But you say Kikuchi is pitching at a great level right now. What's working against Kikuchi, fairly or unfairly, is if there was a tiebreaker, it might come down to well, look at what a weapon he could be out of the bullpen because he did it late last year. You can't, you know, Bassett's not that guy or whatever. But, um, well, we'll see. We'll see what happens. It's a fun thing to talk about. I would imagine if they make the playoffs by whenever that is, October the 4th or whatever it is, if they're fortunate enough to be in the playoffs, I imagine it'll be a little bit clearer right then. But this is a a nice problem to have. Uh, uh, I don't know if anybody saw this much, you know, this improved of a season from him, and he's one of the big reasons why they're in a playoff position right now. Yeah, no, he's he's been unreal. For me, it would be him at the moment, and so much can change in the final two months or a month and a half of the regular season. But, yeah, the strikeout stuff uh, for me, and, and yeah, you, you hope to get five innings out of him and then uh, go to what has been a, a pretty, pretty good bullpen and much improved uh, with the addition of Jordan Hicks. So the offense appeared fixed. Uh, after the, the the series at Fenway Park against the Red Sox, that might have been more Red Sox related than Blue Jays related. Dan, like, where are you on the state of the Blue Jays offense right now? Who you play matters uh, as much as how well you're playing sometimes. And yes, Boston does not have nearly the pitching that Cleveland does. Cleveland overall may not be a very good team. Their offense is dreadful, but their pitching is really good. Um, Gavin Williams, to me, looks like a future ace, a future number one. And Tanner Bobby looks pretty good, too. Um, they didn't have, obviously they don't have Bo Bichette. They didn't have Matt Chapman in the lineup last night. They didn't have David Schneider in the lineup. So wasn't their best lineup, but that having been said, it was a lot of infield hits and fly balls and, and for them to get where they want to get, 
they've got to be a little bit more consistent uh, offensively. Uh, they out hit the Guardians nine to four, nine to five, whatever it was. I can't remember, but 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 lose the game. And um, I, like I'm in a state of it's okay. Their offense, like it's okay, but mm. uh, it's not great. Uh, it was it was good in Boston. They hit some home runs on the Friday, and they came up with the hits with runners in scoring position on the Saturday or the, and the Sunday. Uh, you got to do one or the other. Yeah. To score runs, and um, they haven't done a whole lot of much uh, of anything against Cleveland. But new day, and, and we'll see. And, and I think their offense is trending in a slightly positive direction. I think the addition of Schneider will help. Obviously, the return of Bichette will help. Um, but right now, like the Young's not hitting. You know, they need him to play shortstop, but he's not hitting. Um, and you know, Springer and Vladdy for this offense to be really good, they got to get, they got to go right. They got to hit They're They're the three and four hitters in the, in this lineup right now. So they're both coming up with their hits here and there, but it, it doesn't feel like, um, you know, big damage hits, right? Big multiple run producing hits. And you need some of those every now and then. Yeah, you do. And, and, and yeah, uh, George Springer looks a lot better than, yeah, he did during his O for 35 yep. stretch, but yeah, the, he does. Yep. The, the power numbers haven't been there. And Vlad has a couple of hits yesterday. I mentioned one was an infield hit. Um, Blue Jays, nothing but singles yesterday. Uh, George Springer has a history of, of producing at a higher level than this, obviously. And Vlad does too for, for one season in 2021, the other seasons look remarkably similar to, to what we've seen to this point for, for Vlad. Uh, and, and that's not bad. Like, that's a, that's a good player. But if this is, if, like, we get through this season, I, I understand he's not 34, right? Um, but if we get through this season and, and the sample is, is pretty large that this is a, about the offensive player that you got in Vladimir Guerrero Jr., which is not somebody you just cast off, but does, does that, do you change your, your philosophy as far as building an offense um, around him that he's not, he's not like, He's not the the sun and everybody's orbiting around him. That he's part of uh, a, a a sum of of good offensive players, but that yeah. maybe the focus needs to be more on building an offense. Yeah, I, I think you'd have to. I, I mean, I, I'm not a golfer, but if you play five rounds of golf and you shoot 79, 81, then you shoot a 67, and then 79, 81, what are you? Yeah. Are you are you that five under par guy, or you know what I mean? So. Uh, there's more evidence that says he's a good to very good offensive player than, you know, Judge or Alvarez or, or something like that. The problem is, like that best round of golf of your life, <laughs> once, you, once you've seen it once, you want more. And if you can't get that again, um, it's natural for people to be uh, a little bit disappointed. I think he's better than this. I don't know if he can be better than this this year. But I think he's better than this. Maybe uh, a good winter will help him next year. I, I don't know. To me, he just looks out of whack. He, he, you know, is he just trying to get hits? Is he trying to pull the ball and lift the ball and hit home runs? Is he trying to not hit ground balls? Is he chasing too much? Is he letting too many pitches go by? And, and uh, I don't know. He doesn't look like in, in 2021, and maybe this is, uh, you know, cart for the horse or getting it backwards or whatever. There were some at-bats. You just see the look in his eye, and you knew he had the guy. Like, you knew whoever it was just didn't have anything to get him out. But he's, like, swinging and missing at sliders in the middle of the zone sometimes this year. He's just not the best version of himself right now. And I'm sure he's putting pressure on himself, and I'm sure he's the most frustrated guy of everybody because he knows what he's supposed to be. He was that guy all the way up through the minors, all the way up through the minors, and he's supposed to be the leader of the offense. So... Um, you know, I mean, the, the question you asked about Vlad, there's a short term and a middle term and a long term. 
Mm-hmm. So if you want to call, you know, short term this year, middle term the next two years until he's a free, free agent long term after that. I don't even I've never thought about long term and signing him or anything like that. Um, I don't think you and I have ever talked about signing Bobachet or, or Vladimir Guerrero to long term contract. So short term, they need just him to be as productive as he can be. And, and if, if, if it doesn't mean home runs, if it just means like a barrage mm-hmm. of singles and doubles, okay, take the barrage of singles and doubles and, and, and keep the line moving. But, um, you know, hopefully he can get it going. Hopefully Springer can keep it going and find a little power. Hopefully Bichette can come back soon. Like I still believe there's another gear for this team. Um, but uh, it's getting late, you know, as Yogi yeah. Bear said, you right. It's getting late. It, it gets late <laughs> early around here. And it's, uh, they're almost three quarters of the way through the season. They might be good enough to make the playoffs, even if they keep going at this pace offensively, but they'll have to do better in the playoffs. I think to advance. I agree. Yeah. They have the best area in baseball though. That'll, that'll yeah. keep you in some baseball yeah. games, which it has. Uh, the igniter, I imagine, in David Schneider uh, will be back in the lineup today, as I mentioned, uh, against the the lefty Logan Allen. I haven't spoken to you since his debut at Fenway Park and that first at bat, and it's not the first time we've seen that. J.P. Aaron Sevier had a, a pretty similar um, career debut. But, I listen, the baseball season is interminably long. It, it, it goes 162 games, six months, and, and it's long for the players, and we all enjoy it. It's long for the broadcasters. Um, but, yeah, to get uh, a, a story like that and to get a moment like that, Dan, just, just take me through what you were going through getting a chance to, to, to call some Blue Jays history. Well, immensely fun. So a lot of us, and I was among them, have been, like, you know, banging the drum for this guy for a while because the numbers are undeniable, right? And, and then, but when you see him in person, so he's 5'9", he's a 28th-round pick, He's got an excellent mustache. Yeah. Um, he's using a 40-year-old glove. 40 years old is the estimate. Um, on, like We need like forensic scientists <laughs> to come in and look at this glove and, and to see what it is. Like The whole story's great. If you wrote up this story as a fictional tale, people would say, nah, it's, that's too much. That's too much. You know, Can you make him 6'1", or can you get rid of the mustache, or something like that? But... Um, he's a really kind of chill, cool, level-headed guy. I asked him yesterday, has it all sunk in? And he just very quietly said, no, not really. I think it'll be after the season. Like he's, you know, he was on the plane from Boston to Cleveland with the team. First time the guy's been on a charter in his life, right? So the, the at-bat against Paxton at Fenway is the first at-bat he's ever taken at a major league stadium. He never played a travel ball or high school all-star or anything. He's, he'd never played in a major league stadium before. And he, and he hits a home run over the Green Monster in Fenway Park. I mean, it's storybook stuff, and it's great. People shouldn't expect him to be the savior. I'm not big on the Babe stuff, the mm-hmm. Babe um, Schneider stuff, <laughs> although that like that's a team thing. The players yeah. did that. It wasn't like we started that or the media or anybody. So, like, just, you know, let let the guy be and let's see what happens. And, and they they need every hit he can get. And he looks like he's got a really good idea of the strike zone. And he looks like he can get the ball in the air, right? And those are two very good things, and that's exactly how he was advertised in the minors. So um, I don't expect him to continue to light the world on fire. I don't necessarily expect him to play seven days a week. Um, and listen, Bo Bichette's coming. When, we don't know when Bo's back. Seven days, 10 days, 14 days. Somebody on this roster's got to go when, when Bo comes back. So I don't think it'll be Davis Schneider, but... You know, he'll get an opportunity, but it, but if he goes ice cold, they might say, you know, maybe the best thing for him is to send him back. So, you know, let's just let him be day by day. 
Uh, he'll be in there for sure tonight, as you said. There's a lefty on the mound. I would imagine, um, you know, Whit Merrifield's out and left, and Schneider's back at second base for this game. But let's let's see if we can get a hit or two tonight and um, just have the quality of at-bats that he's had most of the time since he's come up here. Yeah, to, to me, the, the biggest indication that you might be onto something is is not the, the 20-some-odd home runs he hit in Buffalo this season. It's the career 370 on base that he's put a, put forth in, in almost, you know, 1,700 minor league plate appearances that that'll play i i I don't know if we've got enough of the sample defensively he's been replaced a couple of times defensively both second base and left field um he seems like a passable defender at least um yeah and i I know you haven't talked uh, to the manager yet today and he was out of the lineup yesterday um yeah but before bo comes back maybe let's put on our our thinking caps as far as how much playing time he is going to get like was was yesterday indicative of okay it, it, we're not talking about an everyday player. We are also talking about a guy who had reverse splits uh, in the minor leagues this season. Right. Like, it, yeah. it, I would also like to see what they got in him. Like, I, I'm, I'm yeah. interested to see him in an extended run here. I'm interested to see him face righties sometimes as well. Um, so Matt and, and Matt Chapman was out, so they put uh, Espinal at third. And, yeah. and I don't know. I don't know if the decision to put Biggio at second was a left-right splits thing versus Schneider or the fact that Biggio had a great game the night before, you know, like it could have gone a number, a couple of different ways. Right. So, um, you know, Schneider went over four with a couple of strikeouts and Biggio hit a home run uh, um, uh, in the first game of the series. So I don't know if that was the factor. I also do know they don't like anybody to sit on the bench for too long. Like we know that, right. Nobody's going to sit for eight games in a row. So for Biggio and Espinal, there aren't quite as many opportunities to play right now um but he'll be in there tonight but the one that's interesting to me is it's a day game tomorrow Noah Syndergaard is on the mound do they already know what the lineup is Mm -hmm. have they already decided or is it dependent on tonight it's not as simple as the righties play against the lefty and the lefties play against the righty you know that it it also has to do with the kind of stuff the pitcher has uh where in the zone they like to be the swing plane of each of the individual hitters and so forth so but but I'm with you I think well, it's funny. Like, yeah, you want you want to see what they've got, but if somebody else is on a heater and going, you got to win games too, right? So you you got to kind of ride the hot hands. But I, I do know this: the more he hits, the more he'll play. Um, I don't think he's going to play once or twice a week, and I don't think he's going to play six or seven a week. I, I think the sweet spot is probably somewhere in the middle with a little Biggio, a little Espinal mixed in. You know, there could be a day where DeYoung sits and Espinal plays short and that gets Schneider a start at second or something like that. But then, uh, you know, the, the, the big decision comes when uh, when Bichette comes back. But I, I think Schneider will play. I, I think they have seen enough to believe that this is not, I mean, not that he's going to hit, you know, whatever he's hitting, 529 or whatever, but, not, but I think they've seen enough to believe he's not a mirage. I think they think he can handle himself up here, both in terms of hitting and in terms of just being a big leaguer. Like, this is a lot for this guy. You know, all of a sudden he goes from nobody's ever heard of him to cult hero, and they're printing up jerseys at J-Shop, and he's leading off, and they're in a pennant race. And, like, that's a lot, you know? Yeah. And, and uh, I talked to him yesterday, you're like this, and I said, uh, I said, where were you guys when you got called up? He said, Lehigh, not Buffalo. They were on the road. I said, so you didn't even have all your stuff? And he goes, no said, I brought a couple of small duffels. I said, so, like, where's your stuff? And he said, it's in Buffalo. And I think on Monday he's going to, you know, take a car service <laughs> down, grab his stuff, and take a car service back on the off day. Like, 
there's a lot coming at this guy um, all at the same time. And I think he's doing a really good job handling it. And I don't want to put too much hyper pressure on the guy. But you know what? When you go nine for 13 with two homers, it's kind of his fault for before doing that. Yeah, right? way to go, Davis. You really <laughs> yeah. screwed up. Uh, right. You got Brandon Bell calling you Babe Ruth. Yeah, no, it's, right. it's, it's been an unbelievable start. Can't wait to see what he has in store for us uh, tonight. I, I, I know I'm not going to get a chance to talk to you before, obviously, uh, Jose Bautista Day on Saturday. I, I, I do want to get your 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 thoughts about his 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 spot in in the history of the franchise obviously the, those 15 16 teams didn't win at all um but they reignited this fan base dan like i i i'm a sports fan because of 92 and 93 like that was so exciting for me to witness and it was so depressing the 20 years between playoff appearances and it finally happened and i feel like there's a whole new brand of fan that was birthed by those two years yeah, and I agree with you 100%, and I'm at a bit of a disadvantage in that I wasn't calling games all the time through those years, right? So I wasn't as close uh, to the whole situation as I am now. But but you're right. Like, I've got uh, two of my sons are huge sports fans. One's 29, and then you know Ben, who's 22. Like, for their whole lives, they had nothing. Like, yeah. n- they were too young for 92 and 93, right? They So they had nothing, and they were going to be sports fans regardless but there are thousands and thousands and thousands of uh, you know, uh, young people like them who, you're right, got turned on to baseball in 2015 and more specifically got turned on to baseball, baseball at the trade deadline in 2015, and it took off from there. So they actually missed some of the Bautista stuff because uh, he was cranking before then. But then when the team got going in the last two months, I agree with you. It's a different type of crowd now. It's a younger, louder, more energetic, more diverse crowd than it used to be down at the ballpark, and that is fantastic. Jose Bautista was a big part of that, um, had monster years. He's got one of the three or four biggest hits in franchise history, obviously a huge moment in the playoff series against Texas, and he uh, is fully deserving for being at a level of excellence. I cannot imagine what the scene is going to be like Saturday. Um, I get down to the ballpark normally four hours before a game, mm-hmm. and, I, and I, I know what I'm going to see. Like lines all the way down Bremner in both directions to get into the ballpark. And that's actually for the bobblehead, right? Because you don't have to get there four hours no. early for the ceremony, <laughs> but you got to get there four hours early for the bobblehead. So, you know, a bobblehead in the ceremony on the same day, it's it's going to be electric at the ballpark on Saturday. Okay, last one. Hopefully nobody uh, else has asked you this one. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm getting into a little bit of a Twitter discussion about who the next level of excellence uh, inductee mm. should be. And I don't mean to put you on the spot, but there's like some obviously very deserving candidates in Jimmy Key and Tom Hankey and Edwin Encarnacion. And I, I mentioned Vernon Wells, who is like among the leaders in so many different statistical categories for this this franchise and its history. Obviously didn't play in the most successful era of Blue Jays baseball and his departure here like fans were we're happy to to get rid of that albatross contract, but man, was he a, a great player, especially defensively in center field over about a half decade span. He was. He was a great player, and like you like you said, he didn't play in an era where they won as much, and that can sometimes hurt a guy. I guess it depends uh, on what it is. I will tell you, I've always been an enormous fan of Jimmy Keys and think that he is about as underrated a great player uh, as this franchise has ever had. I'll be honest, I haven't dug into. Edwin's numbers versus Vernon Wells versus Jimmy Key versus mm-hmm. Tom Hankey. They're all, they're all good choices. I think Bautista is a notch above all of them. Like, yeah. I think he is the right one uh, to go in now. But uh, the Jimmy Key one, to me, is, is interesting. He was rock-solid, steady, pitched in great games, 
uh, big games, I should say, pitch very well in big games. That, that's an interesting one to me, but um, I, I don't, I don't want to say the wrong thing. I don't want to pick one guy. Mm-hmm. I think they're all interesting and they're all different, you know? So um, it, it, it's, it's a hard choice, but I am glad you brought up Jimmy key because I don't think he gets, uh, I don't think his name resonates as much, especially with younger fans as maybe it should for the kind of uh, the quality of career he had as a blue Jay. Yeah. Uh, fourth in game started was Jimmy key and third in, in pitcher war in franchise history. So obviously, yeah, yeah. A well, well-deserving figure. If in fact he goes up, Dan, uh, thanks so much. Uh, enjoy the game and the call tonight. Thanks. I will. Thanks, Ben. Talk to you again. All right. See ya. Dan Schulman. Uh, people get heated when you talk about honors like levels of excellence. Sorry, I've offended so many people with my, um, I guess, my opinion that I think Vernon Wells should go in before Edwin Encarnacion. Perhaps I'm reaching like a little bit like Edwin should go in as well. And those teams did not win a World Series. Like Joe Carter didn't play the most games in franchise history, didn't hit the most home runs. He's like barely in the top 10 for games played, played about seven years with the, the Toronto Blue Jays, but had the most high, iconic moment in the history of the franchise walk-off home run. And then the year prior, you know, caught the 27th out to bring this franchise its first ever World Series title. A guy, obviously well-deserving of being on the level of excellence. It's not all about accumulating numbers, right? Like we talk about war, that's a counting stat. Or games played, that's just, you got to be here for a while to to rack up numbers. And if you're a horrible player, but you play a long time, doesn't mean that you should be on the level of excellence. How about being a great player for like a pretty prolonged period of time? And being a homegrown talent, a guy drafted and developed by this organization who, because of the departure, I think, people look back uh, on Vernon Wells' tenure as, just awful, and certainly there was some awful baseball spanning the Vernon Wells tenure in Toronto. But guy was, like, maybe not Kevin Kiermeyer level in center field, and we weren't as well-versed in defensive metrics, but multiple-time Gold Glove Award winner, 30 home run power, one of the best players in all of baseball, 200 hits, and then re-signed in Toronto, and then... You know, the numbers started to drop off, and obviously it was a situation where his salary was untenable for this Blue Jays team to to try and build forward, and they managed to find a, a willing partner to to trade him out of town in, in Los Angeles and never quite reached the heights uh, of all-star silver slugger, gold glover that he was in Toronto. And maybe that was partly because of the broken wrist he suffered, making an incredible catch in center field as well. Vernon Wells, to me... Deserving to be on the level of, the, of excellence, as does Edwin Encarnacion, who, I mean, was not here, does not have the, the counting stats like Jose Bautista does, but hit a ton of home runs. And you want to talk about iconic moments. How about 2016 and the walk-off off Ubaldo Jimenez to win the wild card game? How about both? Why can't it be both? But for me, it would be Vernon before Edwin just because of the longevity. But I, I, I get it. We do live in the moment sometimes. And while the Blue Jays didn't win anything in 15 or 16, those were pivotal seasons uh, in the history of the franchise. All right. When we come back, 
Might have been uh, an ALCS preview last night between the Orioles and the Astros in a spectacular freaking game. And I guess Felix Bautista is no longer in consideration to be one of the very few relievers to ever win the Cy Young Award. Gave up a grand slam to turn a three-run lead into a one-run deficit as the Astros with a huge win over the Orioles. We'll talk to Adnan Verk of MLB Network next. The Fan Drive Time continues. I'm Ben Ennis, Sportsnet 590 The Fan. The best Blue Jays show out there, period. Blair and Barker. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Fan drive time, Sports Time 5-9, the fan. Blue Jays and Guardians, game three of four tonight. By the way, day game tomorrow, so no show for us. We will be back on Friday. Time now, as we do most Wednesdays, to talk to our friend Adnan Verk of MLB Network, who's back at home. So I know, Adnan, you're about to tell me about all the Canadian goodies you're, you're, you're eating since you've returned home to Maple. It's fantastic to be back here, Ben. I'm coming to you live from the Bluffs here in Scarborough. Wanted to hit the beach today. Nice. So my dad said, you know what? A little 400 south, 401 east, Brimley, go down around Kingston Road. Bam, here we're here. And one of the many things we can appreciate about Canadians, and I say this as a guy who lives in New Jersey, now proud to be living there, Jersey Shore iconic. Ben, to go to the Jersey Shore, figure out the hour and 40 of traffic and, you know, angry New Jerseyans, but just to go on the beach, and this is a very American concept. To go to a beach, you have to pay money, right? $5 a person, $30 on a beach. Here, I just walk onto a beach, no problem. Parking in Jersey Shore for, you know, five hours, $20. Here, free parking. This is our great country right now. Free parking, a free beach. Just enjoy the sights and sounds in Lake Ontario. It's the best. That is spectacular. Yeah, I don't know if, well, Jersey Shore either. Like, I don't know if you want to actually enter the water there but like yeah the beach is pretty nice i guess yeah maybe, maybe yeah definitely a spot for the genesis everybody it's all kids everywhere this is a very family friendly area here at the bluffs like my and by the way my eldest kid's 15 he's furious he's like what is this this is like a bunch of five-year-olds he wants like wasaga that's a question and you want some big waves well we'll take a drive to wasaga some other time yeah big waves yeah the massive waves at, at wasaga beach uh well i'm glad that you're having a good time uh back at home and I'm, I'm i'm glad the the weather is is cooperating for you as well hey you know what before we get to maybe some larger baseball conversation i just i was i was just talking to dan shulman because uh this weekend is is jose bautista's um induction into the blue jays level of excellence he's gonna head up there be the most uh recent recipient of that honor the highest uh in the uh, Blue Jays uh, franchise hierarchy. Um, and I, I wonder who you think should be next because, like, Bautista's kind of a no-brainer. He's the franchise leader in war, at least according to uh, baseball reference. He has one of the most iconic home runs in franchise history, like right behind maybe the, the Joe Carter walk-off blast in, in 93, the the seventh inning bat flip in, in 2015. I mean, there's there's some deserving guys behind him. Who do you think should be next? Because like Edwin is the the, the guy that they're that they're kind of you know belly to belly. You think about them together, but the the longevity wasn't necessarily there. I I was positing that maybe Vernon Wells would be a a, a good name to throw up there. Jimmy Key, Tom Hankey, like those guys could be up there as well. Who do you think? Slight detour before I get to your answer, only because you dropped Dan Shulman. So my kids want to go see the Cubs on Friday. Originally, they said the weekend, and I checked exactly what you're talking about. I said, oh, Batista game Saturday, good luck. 
Canadians in the summer, we love our summers. Jay's game is going to be packed. Forget about it. So I said, Friday night we can go. I said, who can I get tickets for? I'm thinking in my head, my mental Rolodex. Ben Ennis? Mm. Mike Gentilly? No. Cabby? McAuliffe? Mm. Yeah. Sansoni? Mm. I went Dan Shulman. Let me tell you something. Dan Shulman came through. The yeah. guy's the best. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't have like, helped I'm you like, out. hey, so, like, great sweep of the Red Sox. How about David Schneider? Can you hook me up with tickets? Shulman delivers. So Friday night, I cannot wait to go check out the renovations at Rogers Center and finally tell you how great it is. Back to your question, which is an excellent one. Gentilly just prepped me. He just said, hey, who do you think? And my first thought was Vernon Wells. I said, you know, Vernon Wells was a bougie for a long time, kind of like Delgado in that wasn't really a part of all the winnings. So sometimes you forget sometimes. Like King mm-hmm. Carlos was the best, but it was it was horrible timing. Literally after 93, and then before they made the playoffs again, Delgado was the guy. So Vernon Wells wasn't part of, like, any illustrious Jays. He didn't have those moments like he mentioned the Batista Batlet, but, like, really saw it for a lot of years, you know, the 330 home or 100 RBI years which is what got him that big contract, which, you know, rightly or unfairly, people kind of, he was much maligned. Then after that, you know, goes the Angels, blah, blah, blah. But, like, of a certain era of Blue Jays fans, you definitely think of Vernon Wells. And he was a very good player, I think, for a good period of time. So I think V-Dub definitely is in the conversation. I mean, listen, I grew up, obviously, 80s baseball. So if you're talking about Jimmy Key and Tom Hankey, I'm going to get emotional. Like, I would love to see those guys in there because definitely we're, we're emblematic of those Jays teams. And Cardassian is an interesting one because I don't know if, about the longevity if he was a Blue Jay long enough. Although, having said that, I watched, I was watching Ken Reed and Ivanka last night on Connected, and I watched Ken's really good interview with Bautista. And when the graphic came up, I was like, wow, he was a Blue Jay 10 years? Yeah. Like, I was like, that can't be right. 97-06, like, there's no way. Like, if you'd ask me, I remember, right, late bloomer, age 30, got the five-year deal, five years, 65, I think, which is, like, one of the great steals ever. And everyone's like, mm, not sure, dude. Like, he had one good year. Not sure about his contract. Great contract. <laughs> like, I had thought it was brilliant. But, like, 10 years is pretty good. So, remind me, how long was Encarnacion a Blue Jays? That'd be my first concern. Seven, I believe. Yeah, eight. Sorry, eight years. He played just under 1,000 games. So, it's, it's, not, it's not the tiniest sample. But, yeah, uh, it, yeah. It's, it's, it's less than Bautista. Okay, but it's a little more than I thought. Like, you tell me eight years. I mean, if a guy has a real impact in the organization, which mm-hmm. Encarnacion did, I think he's surely making a case. But of the names that you would throw out there, like, if you just ask me, Vernon Wells is the first thing that comes to mind. But, certainly, if you start digging in those numbers, those 80s Blue Jays, I'm sure you can make a case for the likes of Key and Hanky, and why not uh, Dwayne Ward while we're at it? Mm-hmm. And, and maybe, you know, some member of the 2023 Toronto Blue Jays after they, they bring it home for the, for the first time in, in 20 years, um, or uh, I guess it would be 30 years now. Um, uh, yeah, uh, first time since 1993. Who knows? It could happen. Uh, the offense would have to look a lot better than it has recently, but certainly the pitching's been more than good enough. They lead Major League Baseball in ERA, but... I mean, it's hard not to look at that game yesterday, Adnan, between the, oh. the Astros and O's, and, and what an incredible, incredible, ridiculous finish, and what an at-bat Kyle Tucker had before culminating with the, the grand yeah. slam off uh, a guy that was having, like, one of the best relief seasons <laughs> in the history of baseball and Felix Bautista. Hard not to look at those two teams as, like, the best in the American League. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I was trying to make the case uh, Rangers and Astros, just because I feel like, you know, the Rangers once they made those acquisitions of, you know, acquiring Scherzer to beef up the rotation, and hopefully Evaldi comes back. And they do have the best offense in the majors, even when Jonah Heim went down. Like Mitch Garber stepped up as their catcher, and obviously their stars in Seager and Simeon. But dude, I look at that Baltimore team, and they got something cooking. Like we are lifelong baseball fans, lifelong sports fans. You can kind of feel when a team's got it. They kind of feel like they got it, and it's amazing because. The Rays, look at like they run away and hit from everybody in that first half. You said, well, they're going to win the division. You're playing for a wild card. Now I'm like, I'm at least 80% confident the Orioles win that division. Like, I don't think they're looking back. And 
their star power is evident as well, just in a different way. You know, you really look at their hitters and Rutschman and Gunnar Henderson, and you forget that Hayes is an all-star. Santander is terrific. Um, Mountcastle finally stepped it up. He was hurt for a while. So, like, they've got strength all over the place. My concern is they're pitching. And then, yeah, I look at their starting staff in July, and they were top five in the American League. So, like, they've really turned it around. Gibson's one of the few veterans they have. You know, it's interesting because I still feel like they should have made a bigger move for a starter. They should have got a Verlander or a Scherzer. And yet, Flaherty in his first start was tremendous. It was like six innings, nine Ks, three runs. Like, he was pretty good. Mm-hmm. So, maybe Flaherty is the answer along with Gibson, the Tyler Wells, the Kyle Bradishes. And I love their bullpen. God, Bautista, aside from that, He's about as light as it gets. You could really make a case for, like, the Cy Young for Bautista. I'm not kidding. I think it's Garrett Cole. But if you look at Bautista's numbers, as far as, like, great relief pitchers, he's up there. Um, but your point with the Astros, dude, they get Verlander, and I'm like, oh, here we go again. Like, yeah. it's just, it's, it's, right? If you, you try to start talking yourself out of reasons they shouldn't be there. So the offense is legit, especially with Jordan back. All the usual suspects, right? Altuve, Bregman, blah, blah, blah. I love Chaz McCormick, by the way. I think he's a really underrated player. They catch the ball well. They're good defensively. And their starting staff was the concern because they've had so many injuries because Arquiti was out, Garcia was out. And you go, well, they're getting a little bit healthier now. And they still got the Framber Valdez. And then you got Verlander, and you go, oh, dude, come on. Like, it feels like all roads lead through Houston to being the winner of at least getting to the World Series. Mm-hmm. And for Baltimore, I think you can make a convincing case they're right there. I, if I had to rank it, I'd probably go – maybe Houston, Texas, and Baltimore, but it's pretty tight between those three. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I, I was giving the Rangers a little bit short shrift. They won eight in a row, and they lead the American League in run differential. They're just they're they're four and six against the Astros, and the Astros are the defending champs. Right. So I I, I kind of have to d- defer uh, to them. Uh, you know who it's no, not? To your point. Yeah, the, go ahead. The Rangers could win that division, Ben. You're right. They could win that division by seven games. And at ALCS, guess what? The Astros will be favorites. Your point is certainly true. Yeah. You know who's not the favorite in the American League? And uh, I, I, I don't think going to even make a, a wild card round is the New York Yankees. And, yeah. and your guy, Aaron yeah. Boone, who, man, <laughs> is he entertaining as hell. I, I, I got to say, I, I, I know he's like slightly embarrassed. And, you know, he had to meet with, with I don't know, the head of a, a major league umpires or something. Uh, he's got six ejections this season. Last year, he also led the American League with uh, nine ejections. The year before that, he was tied with Bob Melvin with six. Like he is, I, I was looking at his rate. If he if he kept kept <laughs> at than it, Earl Weaver and Lou Pinella, which is shocking. His rate of more ejections, right? Yeah, he could be the all time leader, uh, which is Bobby Cox, I believe, is the all time uh, ejections yeah. leader. Who knows if if he's if he's going to get there? Um, but I love it, and and I hope he he never stops. Like I. I hope for his 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 uh, mental health. Like he plays on teams that are a little bit better than this Yankees team. But what do you make? What do you make of your guy doing his Laz Diaz impression? So I love the impression. I mean, it was hysterical. Like I hop on the ESPN app and literally it's a freeze frame of doing the impression. I'm so dying good. because there was a guy at ESPN named Judd Birch, the coordinating producer. He loves umpires. Like, listen, nice guy, but eccentric to say the least. So he could do the out call of literally every umpire. So in my head, I'm like, oh, my God. Booney, it's like the inside joke of inside jokes. He's not only doing Laz Diaz, but anybody who works at ESPN knows he's like doing an impression of a guy who would do impressions of guys. Like, it's ridiculous. It's working on multiple levels. It's so meta. And I talked to him at the All-Star break. It was right after Sean Casey got the hitting coach job. And I called him. I said, you know, I'm sure you have better things to do than watch MLB Network. But Verducci did a story about how you're being tossed at a rate higher than Earl Weaver and Lupinelli. <laughs> so per game average. And by the way, it's more shocking, as Verducci pointed out, because he goes, those guys were arguing plays on the bases 
in addition to balls and strikes. Now, because of replay, we don't have those ejections. So you are strictly a guy who is so incensed by balls and strikes at a rate greater than Earl Weaver and Lou Pinella. So I just think hotheads, I think of those guys. And Booty laughed, and his response was, well, I haven't been tossed in six weeks. This is this was the all-star break. Like, okay, so at least in his head, he was like, well, I've cooled down a little bit. And you're right. I read the headline, so I was slightly embarrassed. So I haven't texted him. I, I wanted to text a joke. Thing. You know what? Kind of to your point, I think the bigger issue is the Yankees aren't winning. So I don't want to poke light at the fact his guys are not faring well, but high, high comedy. Listen, once a TV guy, always a TV guy, Ben. Booty knows if I'm going to get tossed, I'm getting my money's worth. And I, and I do think, joking aside, he's very passionate about it, and he's trying to fight for his team. Dude, Could you imagine like, being the manager of the New York Yankees right now, how frustrated you'd be? That team is like chronic underachievers. Like He's tried everything he can to rustle the troops. Brian Cashman doesn't do anything at the deadline. You've got Judge and you got Garrett Cole. Like, you're so top-heavy. you got a guy who could be the MVP every year and a guy who I think will win the signing, and then you got a bunch of luggage. Right? Stanton underachieves. LeMay underachieves. Torres is all right. Volpe can't hit. Nothing from the catchers. Lester's are relying on Jake Bowers. You're like, really? For $293 million? This is the rotation we're getting? And this is the lineup we're getting? Like, it's, it's tough to watch sometimes. So I, I feel for him as a friend, but I'm also very entertained. And, and I do share your sentiment. Like, I think overall, if you think the Yankees make the playoffs, I'm like, what possible reason is that going to happen? Like, we already discussed Orioles and probably Rays. Although I wouldn't be shocked the Rays completely fall out of the picture, but, but they still I feel like a wild card team. Okay, Rangers, Astros, you and I both agree are great. Twins win the Central. Okay, they got one team left, um, as aside from the Astros. And it's like, if the Astros and Rays are wild card, one team. So if you tell me Jays, Red Sox, Yankees, mm-hmm. Mariners, Angels, I'm like, yeah, I'm betting on Toronto. Like, you saw what the Jays did against Boston. Mm-hmm. That team was such a litmus test series. I'm like, wow. You're 0-7 against Boston. You're going into Fenway. The Sox have to be thinking. We take two or three, and we're tied with these guys, period. And the Jays bludgeoned them. Like, that offense was incredible. So I think if you look at Toronto when they play their capabilities, and I'm with you on that staff, the Jays staff, they don't doubt to me that he goes, that's the best pitching staff in the American League East. And I was like, oh, doctor, come on. Ray's got McClanahan, Eflin, uh, Glass now. And he's like, oh, look at the depth. So like, those are three guys. Who's their four or five? The Jays, one through six can throw guys out there. So Toronto really is a team to beat. I think that's really unfortunate for the Yankees. And last thought, I'm a little worried for my guy because I, I think he'll be back. Because, again, who the hell watches this team and goes, well, oh, you know what, if they're a better manager, they'd be better. Like, I don't think anyone thinks that. But if the Yankees have one of those, like, you know, 7-20 and 20 Septembers, mm. then uh, Aaron Boone may be sitting next to me at MLB Network rather than me talking about being on MLB Network. Well, and, and I love the passion, and I, I'm sure that's the driving force um, that, that's driving all the ejections. But it does, it, it feels like a little bit calculated, right? Like, we're in the dog days of yeah. summer, and that, that team is so lifeless. And, I, I mean, it, it can act as, like, a twofold thing. One is maybe it shakes people up in that clubhouse and, and wakes them up. And, and two... It's the point of conversation, not that, hey, DJ LeMahieu looks a thousand years old and, and, and Giancarlo <laughs> Stanton is getting paid a trillion dollars for the next zillion years, right? Oh, 100%. Like, again, you've got to use every motivational trick possible. And I'm sure the Yankees to a man go, hey, we love Booney doing that. He's clearly sticking up for us as our manager saying, hey, we're getting screwed and do what he can. But I'm with you on the overall level. You say, listen, I, I'm all for the distractions and motivational tricks, but, fellas, it shouldn't take your manager having to imitate Las Diaz for you guys to step up. Like, get a base hit once in a while. Like, just mm. the way they're constructed, right? It's just like sit around and wait for a three on home run. I'm like, get on base once in a while, wouldn't you? And the LeMayu contract, I'm like, man. Again, that's one of those that I'm like, it's not the anti-Bautista. Like, he, LeMayu had that two-year, $24 million deal, which is an absolute steal, brilliant move by Cashman. He was incredible. 
And then they signed him to the six-year $90 million. He's been a disaster. And it's like, wow. Like, I, I just never seen a guy fall off like that. And the Stanton contract, when you start to look at how much more money he's owed year after year, like, you talk about a streaky presence. He's terrific in the playoffs. And when he's hot, he'll hit the ball a mile. But when he's lost, he's under the Mendoza line and just a strikeout waiting to happen. It's, it's painful. And by the way, one more we can throw to Cashman. Josh Donaldson. Yeah. Like, can we discuss what a disaster move that was? Like, you're paying like, like $25 million a year. He's never going to play for the Yankees again. Terrible. No, it's, it's not great. Also not great in Anaheim. Uh, they finally snapped the, the seven-game losing streak that they were on, but they're now seven games back of the Blue Jays for the final, final wildcard spot in the American League. I thought at least they'd be able to, like, you know, be interesting when Mike Trout returned. And I guess, like, there's a potential incredible run coming here down the stretch. And I, it doesn't make me feel differently about the decision not to trade Joey Otani because I was always of the mind that you, you try and recoup as many assets as you could for him. But it, it's amazing how quickly you go out and, and you're the biggest mover of, of the trade deadline as, as far as acquisitions. And maybe you don't land the biggest name. That's probably the Astros and the reigning American League Cy Young Award winner and Justin Verlander. But you do well in getting Lucas Giolito, to a lesser extent Randall Grichuk. But you do something and you bring back C.J. Crone and they're worse than ever. What a disaster oh. in Anaheim this year. It's the perfect word for it. And... I'm with you thinking all along, listen, you're not going to re-sign him. Why don't you just trade him? But I get it. And, and I, I didn't mind it once they made those moves. Like, if you just on paper said, we're going to fight for the playoffs, I'm like, you're nuts. Like, you're four games out with that team, you're not going to win. But when I said, hey, you're trying. You're getting Giolito, Ronaldo Lopez, Richard Crow. Okay, you know what? Maybe. Like, probably not. But maybe. And at the very least, you are telling Otani, hey, man, we at least tried. Okay, you can't say we're not trying to win. With the longest playoff drought, along with the Tigers going back to 2014. But we did try. So please stay with us. We'll give you $600 million, and let's keep this thing going. But the way it has unfolded is, like you said, disastrous. In fact, it's like the anti-Cubs. Like the Cubs, similar situation. My brother's a Cubs fan. I look forward to seeing them Friday night, thanks to Dan Schulman. And I'm telling my brother, I go, they should trade Bellinger. They should trade Stroman. Those guys are not going to get re-signed. Bellinger's never going to be better. Are you kidding? He had 203 the last three years, collectively. And right now he's on fire. Like, dealing with the Yankees, they desperately need him. And Stroman ain't re-signed. There's no way he's going to opt out of a three-year, $71 million deal. He might get five for 150. I'm not kidding. I go, his, and he might get at least five for 20, 125. It doesn't like the Cubs want him. And it's like, you know what? We believe. And they're right. The Cubs have vindicated because they won this great winning streak, game and a half back. You know, the Reds have lost six straight. They're in it. The mm-hmm. Angels are the anti-Cubs, similarly a team that said, let's add when they probably should have divested themselves and it's completely blown up in their faces. And again, even if, if they had a little bit of a spurt, right? If you told me on September 1st the Angels were two games back, I'm like, oh, they're still in it. And then this happened in September, I'm like, well, whatever. It, it, you couldn't time it worse. Literally, the deadline happened and they went in the tank. They're done. There's not one person who thinks the Angels are going to make the playoffs now. No, uh, they stink, and, and it's a shame. And, and, I mean, that'll be the most interesting free agent situation maybe in the history of the sport uh, where Shohei Otani ends up and how much cash he ends up uh, getting past his way at the conclusion of the season. I want to swing it back to the Blue Jays before I let you go, Adnan. Uh, and on Friday, you're going to get to see Davis Schneider in the flesh, the, 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 the mustachioed man, uh, the guy that's had an incredible minor league career, uh, an incredible triple-A season, 28th round pick. He's five foot nine. Who knows if this continues, but for four games. And he didn't play yesterday. That was the only game he's been on the roster and not played. And it's the only game the Blue Jays have lost. He's only played in Blue Jays wins since he arrived. I, I, I know 
you know, as guys that have uh, followed this sport for as long as we have, the, these types of stories are so, so awesome. And they don't always end up playing out. You know, like, like guys don't end up having 10, 15, 20-year careers all the time. But it's not out of the realm right. of possibility that, that a guy can be, you know, not a bonus baby and just, you know, overlooked maybe because of his size and, and turn himself into a major leaguer. It's not out of the realm of possibility. No, it's one of the reasons, again, when I go back and I watch the like, 80s baseball, these guys look like normal human beings. Like, this is before they started lifting and protein shakes and all the rest of it. They're like, you know, 5'9", 175, and somehow they can hit 15 home runs. And David Schneider, like you said, is not imposing, has a cool look, obviously, because of the stash. And it's a great story. Like, when they called him up, I'm like, who? And they're like, 28th round pick. I'm like, well, you know, I guess they're kind of desperate right now with Bo being out. He can play second place. He can play the outfield. And then, bam, home run first game, 9 for 13 in the series. Like, it was incredible. And I just... Again, as, as baseball lovers, we appreciate history. When I saw the list of Blue Jays to home in their first at bat, and I saw Junior Felix, I mean, nothing could warm my heart more than just seeing his name again. So it's a really cool story. And, again, give credit to the Blue Jays for stepping up in the absence of Bo. This is like the anti-Yankees. Like, Judge goes out, the Yankees fell apart, Judge comes back, they're still not very good. They're still averaging under four runs a game with Aaron Judge back. He's high on base, but he's not hitting well. The days go the other way. Oh, Bo's out? No problem. Let's set this thing up. Let's go get David Schneider. How about Vlad goes deep on Friday? How about other players start to have, show some offensively? Could you imagine if George Springer starts to resemble his old self? All of a sudden you go, dude, of course the Blue Jays are making the playoffs. They clearly have the most talent in this offense. And to put it on Boston the way they did, I'm like, that was such a statement for me. And for David Schneider to be in the middle of it, I mean, you could, you could not wipe the smile off his face or any of his teammates with that performance. And I'm with you. Like, just because you have a hot stretch doesn't mean you're a flash in the pan. And it doesn't mean you're a future star, but it does mean something. And if he can play well, at least in the absence of Bo Bichette, and if he plays well enough that John Schneider says, well, i got to find a spot from somewhere at the expense of Espinal or Kevin Bezier or whomever, I'm going to do it. Mm-hmm. But it's a really cool story at the Burleys, what he's done so far. Unbelievable. The first time uh, I've, I've had a radio guest at a beach wearing a Speedo uh, doing 20 minutes of radio. <laughs> well done, Adnan. I, I wave to the people at Scarborough Bluffs. Thanks, buddy. If only, by the way, one more Canadianism that I love is when I'm walking and say, can you tell me where the washroom is? Because in America, they look at you like four eyes. They say bathroom. And as right. I always tell people, nobody goes and takes a bath in the bathroom. You wash <laughs> in the washroom. That's, that's, I'll go find a washroom and clean up. All right, buddy. See ya. Thanks. Thanks, Ben. Take care. You too. Adnan Verk, MLB Network, back at home uh, in Scarborough at the beach, getting ready to see his hometown Blue Jays uh, when they return home on Friday. Still in a stretch of 17 in 17 days. Yeah, his other pal who used to be in media as well, Alex Cora, going through it a little bit, although they're playing the Royals now, so the Red Sox are uh, capable of winning. But yeah, felt like when Alex Verdugo decided he was going to show up like 15 minutes before game time uh, and they got swept by the team they were directly chasing in the American League wildcard race. That was kind of the death knell for them. It's hard not to look actually at the American League standings right now and see one team outside of the Blue Jays that are if not capable, like deserving of a playoff spot. And that's the Seattle Mariners who are right there with the Blue Jays, like neck and neck as far as team ERA leading the sport in, in ERA. They're having even more difficult to time scoring runs than the Blue Jays. But that's it. Like you go south of the Mariners and then you are talking about a Red Sox team that's obviously extremely flawed, especially with the the pitching. You got a Yankees team that's coming apart at the seams that can't score to save its life. And their big acquisition is back on the shelf again. And Carlos Rodon and, yeah, Aaron Judge is back. But he's, like, literally the only guy that can hit there. And you got the, this Angels team that has the best player in the history of the sport. And they added 
but they're the angels and they stink. And yeah, they're getting Mike Trout back, but uh, not soon enough. Uh, before we take a break, though, I want to circle back to Aaron Boone, who I'm sure you've seen the the clip of by now, doing the Laz Diaz thing, getting ejected, uh, uh, and on his way out, drawing a line in the dirt as to where he thought the pitch was thrown, and then not just doing the strike three call, but doing Laz Diaz's very specific strike three call and leading the American League again in ejections. And as Adnan rightly points out, on a historic pace as far as ejections, which is, again, partly this guy is just super fiery and passionate and emotional, and partly you got to do something. Because there's so little you can do as a major league manager in 2023 to actually physically impact the baseball game. Because so many of those decisions, as far as relievers or pinch hit or pinch run opportunities, are either predetermined or, like, simple and obvious. So, yeah, it's one of the tools in his tool belt. And, man, we're, we're losing so much of what makes baseball great or made baseball great. Uh, I mean, we've already lost, you know, collisions at the plate and and the takeout slide at second base. And if we can praise a hitter for hitting a a home run and and tossing their bat, why can't we praise a manager for the act at home plate after being ejected? I just, I hope it doesn't go by the wayside. I hope he's not discouraged uh, because of the potential blowback from the umpires association. Uh, When we come back, I know... Pittsburgh Penguins fans are encouraged by the aged Eric Carlson's arrival as Kyle Dubas putting his stamp on his new club. Carlson actually arrived in Pittsburgh today and uh, the Penguins Twitter account sending out some video of his arrival. He was taken around the facility by Jason Spezza, which I'm sure made Leaf fans extremely excited. We'll talk to Dave Damashek, host of the Minus 3 podcast, Proud Pittsburgher, next as the fan drive time continues. I'm Ben Ennis, Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Big opinions and in-depth conversations covering the Leafs, Jays, Raptors, and the NFL. The J.D. Bunkins Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. Fan Drive Time, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. I'm Ben Ennis, and I I think... Now, some may disagree. Some may say it's it's late July that is the dog days of of uh, summer. I would say that it is, it's, you know, right around now, dog days of summer. So we appreciate very much when sports news drops like it did over the weekend, which was predicted by our pal Elliot Friedman on Friday. Eric Carlson to the Pittsburgh Penguins for a whole lot of not that much, um, but the Sharks only retaining about a million bucks in cap hit over the next four years. Today, he arrived in Pittsburgh, or at least there was video of him arriving in Pittsburgh, and he was chauffeured around by Jason Spezza. Uh, he was shown the uh, Penguins facility, and then eventually the tour culminated in in a visit to Kyle Dubas's office, and lots of glad handing. If, if you want to see, it's on the Penguins' Twitter page right now. I'm sure our next guest has watched it over and over again. It's Dave Damashek, host of the Minus 3 podcast. Proud Pittsburgher uh, joins us on, on the line right now. How's it going, Dave? 
Good. What's happening, man? Yeah, these are uh, these are heavy days. The only correction I have to make is you said they the, the Penguins didn't give away that much. In fact, they gave away millions and millions of dollars worth of terrible contracts. Yeah. I don't know who this magician you sent us mm. named Kyle Dubas <laughs> is exactly, but boy, miracle worker purging some atrocious contracts and getting one of the great offensive defensemen in the history of people. So, yeah, you're right. I'm over that. The only guy I feel bad for in all this is Chad Ruedel. I mean, he's now going to get about four minutes of ice time on the right side with the Pens, and in front of him are two potential Hall of Famers who both have long, gorgeous locks and are ruggedly handsome devils both, and he's got to sit there and look in the mirror and, see his bald head looking back at him. I feel for him. Otherwise, I'm over the moon. <laughs> yeah, it's it's all great for you. Um, and yeah, even the first round pick uh, the Penguins gave up is, is top 10 protected. So it's it's really hard to, to see the downside. Now that you brought up Kyle Dubas and yeah, we're, we're, we're only days removed from him being uh, summarily dismissed as the general manager of, of the Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, I imagine first impressions, like, you got to be pretty pleased with things. I mean, what were you thinking when he initially said, hey, I'm going to do a, an exhaustive search to find a general manager and then decided, oh, wait, you know what, it's, it's me. And then, and then secondarily <laughs> that he goes out and, and acquires a guy that he said he's, he's been grinding uh, for, for a while, uh, even in his prior job as general manager of the Toronto Maple Leafs, to go out and get. And he lands him uh, in, in a deal that seems like a coup. Well, I mean, you know, how do I feel about Kyle Dubas? I, you could hire almost literally any human being. I don't care what corner of the big blue marble are hiding in. Anybody would have gotten me excited as long as they were replacing Ron Hextall, yeah. who I long ago as a longtime Penguins fan, I would call me a cynic, but I think I've been proven correct here. I knew he was double aging for the pathetic Philadelphia Flyers. That was borne out by the moves he made. Only someone trying purposely to scuttle the Penguins' window of Stanley Cup uh, opportunity before Kid Crosby hangs him up would uh, would do some of the things he did. Um, but, yeah, he means it comes off as very likable, you know, uh, those cutaways in the press box and in spring times and all that. Uh, seems like a charming guy. Um, but, yeah, you know, it's funny because now that it's wrapped up, I hadn't really considered. So what happens if Kyle Dubas's first real big move as the Penn's GM or whatever he was until he anointed himself the GM um, – was to say, I'm chasing Eric Carlson, and then he lands with the Canes or wherever else. That would have been a real weird mm-hmm. calling of your shot and not having to come through and immediately created some uh, cynicism in Pittsburgh. But, you know, I don't know that this makes them a Stanley Cup team that makes them better than what they were two weeks ago, um, certainly. And in the meantime, I, you know, I'm a big um, journey over destination guy, and certainly – this regular season is going to be a lot more enjoyable. And, you know, if nothing else, I, you know, I'm not trying to rub it into any Leafs fan listening right now, but the Penguins are the, over the last 30 years, they are the most successful franchise Mm. in, in puck. But beyond that, they've done it with a style foot on the gas, not just going out to try and get superstars as though it's Manhattan. They get, you know, they have been offensive skill has carried the day and carried them to five cups. And I'm talking all-time high-end skill and the fluke of 
coming in, you know, having the first overall pick just at the right moment to take Mario Lemieux and mm-hmm. Sidney Crosby and, you know, the flower and fleshing out Paul, with Paul Coffey and Ronnie Francis and Yarmir Yager. I think you know who's on those teams, Gino Malkin and otherwise. It's just, you know, as a Penguins fan, I, I feel spoiled, and that is definitely going to carry through. And as I sit in the winner circle in three cups with Crosby, they don't have to – they don't win another Stanley Cup, so be it. They already won three, and in the meantime – It'll be fun to watch their point totals uh, soar through the roof thanks to the power play now QB'd by Carlson. So, it's, I mean, if nothing else, it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, uh, it's a little bit of a different scenario here in Toronto, Dave, where, like, the journey is irrelevant. Like, let's like, forget the journey. Who cares? The journey's I, – I, I'd rather fast-forward through the entire journey. It's all about the destination, which for the first time in the Austin Matthews era didn't end in first-round defeat. But, yeah, a pretty quick second-round defeat – for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Yeah, the, the, the goals. Gotta, yeah, you need, yeah, wake you up. Yeah, you'll take a nap in the back uh, of the bus on the journey and wake you up around round three of the playoffs. That's that's, that's when you'll start caring again, right? I get it. Yeah, and okay, if you're going to count the, the pre-salary cap era Penguins, sure, you can throw them in there as the, the most successful franchises. Let, let's just talk, though, in, in the salary cap era in which they have won three cups. They've been to, to four finals uh, with Sidney Crosby and company that's the same number as uh chicago and their era is over right like patrick kane was traded away and and jonathan taves is a free agent and who knows he, he may retire that's that's done i guess you get like the the kings and the lightning both have two like and i suppose you can still say like the andre kopitar thing in in la like that maybe you would hinge those two dynasties together but i think no jonathan quick like it's over in, in la maybe it's still open in in tampa but they just lost in the first round to the aforementioned toronto maple leaf so it's, it's really i think a two-team discussion for the most dynastic since the cap era it's your Pittsburgh Penguins with Sidney Crosby and the Chicago Blackhawks, whose window is now closed. And the Penguins might be closing, although they were just a point away from making the playoffs last year. Uh, in fact, it, you know, kind of ironic that they lose in game 81 to the aforementioned Blackhawks. And it's the Panthers that get in and get all the way to the cup final. I mean, is there anything to, hey, getting that fourth cup with Crosby and having no doubt about who the most dynastic salary cup, uh, salary cap era team in hockey has been i don't know how much they consider that i will say that the the lightning i mean if you're just counting cups you you know one equals one and all that i will say if i'm trying to make this case and you've asked me to make it that one of those cups comes Mm -hmm. in the bubble and let's be honest now that we've gotten a few years past all those bubble titles and it's not just the stanley cup i'm talking in all the sports they feel a little less than most titles do right is that fair oh yeah 100 percent. i you know la you know i'm in the la now and um you know lakers and um uh uh Dodgers both won titles, and it's it's just weird how those kind of slip slip through the cracks or feel different than most of you. Just had no parade and all that kind of stuff. So that's why. And then also everybody knows the 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 chicanery that the Lightning pulled with Kucherov and having him sit the whole season and all that uh, contract manipulation. Fine, you're allowed to do it, but. I'm going to hold it against you if if we're dealing with like choose the very best of this millennium. And, um, you know, I mean, the run of 
playoff appearances by the big three um, was great. And, you know, just spiritually, it is, it, it's the same core. You mentioned Andre Kopitar. That's the through line. Obviously, the Kings' um, little mini era of greatness has come and gone now. Kopitar is still there, and they might be a good team again next year. But I don't think you really connect those two. And to your point, yeah, the Hawks had their flourish, but it's long gone. The Penguins are still going. It's wild that this continues. And, you know, I, I think anybody, it's not a stunning idea. It's not a outrageous thought that the Penguins, neither the Penguins nor the Lightning, have a guy like Kachuk just entering his prime. But I don't think it's absurd to think when you see these teams that break through every spring and make these deep runs, it's not absurd to think if – Bobrovsky could do that last spring. Why couldn't Tristan Jari do it this upcoming spring? So I, I, I'm okay with all of that. I think there's a chance you can get on a heater. After all, Sidney Crosby isn't just an all-time great. He comes through in the biggest spots. I know I don't have to tell anybody in Canada no. that that's no. the case, and so is Gino Malkin repeatedly. So I, you know, I think they're fine. It's going to be fun. Get into the playoffs. Let's get off the schneid in terms of winning a playoff round, which they haven't done now in a half dozen years, and let's get that off. And otherwise, I'm not asking for much more than that. Uh, you know, I it's an all-time rugged Wales conference. I think it will be again this coming year. You assume the Bruins will fall back considerably, but here comes Columbus, and here comes Ottawa, and here comes Buffalo. I, You know, and, and, you know Devils shouldn't regrets if at all they may sort so bottom line is and your Leafs should be I, I really like the moves that the Leafs made mm. um so uh, you know it's a, a it's a gauntlet and anybody who gets through it and wins the cup good for you it's not necessarily a failure if, if you don't do it but in the meantime I couldn't care less about seeing Owen Pickering, who they drafted last year. Be like, can't trade away assets. No. I don't care about Owen Pickering. <laughs> Arrival 2028. What he? I don't care. Let's go all in right now when you have this core, aged as it is, as much as it succeeded in black and gold. I, it's worth investing in and, and making the bet and leaning into it, no matter what Rick Pitino said about Larry Bird and the Chief not walking through that door in Boston 20 years ago. This is a different situation. Um, I, I love the the philosophy of leaning in and going for it right now. Yeah, Sid uh, just turned 36 two days ago, which I'm, I'm sure you're, you're well aware. But, yeah, no, this is a, a guy who's still, if not at the peak of his powers, still a very effective player, 33 goals and, and 93 points a season ago and fully healthy, which was the key there, played all 82 games. So I don't know, Dave, you're, you, you, you tell me if, if you can create a, a rivalry out of front offices that maybe don't see eye to eye, that, that maybe there's a, a burgeoning rivalry between the Penguins and Toronto Maple Leafs. And they play a couple of times on hockey night in Canada, uh, once in November and, and once in December to, to start the year, starting in Pittsburgh. The second game is in Toronto. Is there anything to, Hey, Kyle Dubas obviously left it in, in, not great circumstances that obviously he would love to, to see his Penguins team pound the Leafs in, into dust. But does that like translate to the players? Can you create a rivalry out of, out of warring front offices? <laughs> Listen, I love rivalries and any excuse to, uh, to talk one up. I'm all for, I don't, I, listen, I love the Leafs and I'm not trying to curry favor with the audience right now. You know, if my pens can't get it, the team I'd like, the, 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 the team that has never caused me any 
um, emotional harm uh, are the Leafs. I feel bad. It's the epicenter of hockey, obviously. So I'd like to see the Leafs get over for the long-suffering fan base there. I hear what you're talking about. <laughs> there are people. So what I don't have a, a handle on mm-hmm. is because I'm on the other side of it. What would be the breakout among Leafs fans? Are they angry at Dubas or yes. are they angry at the Leafs? No, Dubas, 100%. Um, because it, it does, and part of this is Brendan Shanahan. Like, I don't know if you saw what was like, it, it now becoming a very famous press conference at the conclusion of the season where Brendan Shanahan announced the firing of Kyle Dubas, where he like ran down a contract negotiation between the two that took part uh, uh, or uh, was was uh, negotiated through parts of the regular season and culminated at the conclusion of their season when they were knocked out of the playoffs. And it did feel like he was trying to 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 indicate to us that the Kyle Dubas just wanted more money, even though at his season ending media availability, he talked about, hey, I got to take a step back and and think about whether I want to do this or not, because the, the, the toll on my family has been too much. No, I think there's. There's a lot of people. I mean, the the, the Dubas disciples will still, you know, they'll they'll hang their hat on 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 his, uh, his you know his analytical approach to the sport. But I think he there's a lot of people uh, considering the way he departed that that will be rooting against the, the Penguins uh, pretty vociferously. Well, that's fun. One thing I I remember for, as a, like I say, long time. Penguin fan uh, was going to the igloo for many moons before they uh, constructed the new joint. And way back when, I always remember, no matter how good the Leafs or bad the Leafs were, they always traveled pretty well down to Pittsburgh. I once made the trip up to Old Maple Leaf Garden with some pals and uh, when they were uh, uh, out on the ice an hour before. Badger Bob Johnson was right up there next to us watching the shoot around. It was really fun. Um, and uh, what a beautiful place that was. Um, but uh, Leafs fans make the return trip all the time. It's a pretty breezy one, so it does set up regionally. What is it, like a four-hour drive or something? It ain't yeah. bad. It's worth making it come down to the banks of the Three Rivers, boo your guy, Dubas, and uh, and I listen, here's what I'll do. Here's the deal we can make right now. Mm. Confer- conference final, mm-hmm. and that's it. Conference finals, <laughs> and then we'll see. I'm out of... We'll, we'll both sign off on that, right? I, yes. I don't, they, they don't have to go any further than that, depends. I'll, I'd be content if you told me that they would win a couple of rounds and face the mighty Leafs. That's, wow. Well, what a gesture by you. You and your, your three cups and four Stanley Cup finals that you would accept, yeah, a trip, uh, one more trip to the, the conference final. Yeah, Leaf fans would, would die for that. Um, before we let you go, Dave, you are the arbiter of all things Mount Pius. Like this, this, yes. this Orioles broadcaster Kevin Brown thing, which is like... There's no, there's no two sides of the argument. Everybody's yelling in the same direction, but everybody seemingly wants to yell. If you are now still doing the Kevin Brown thing, are you, are you climbing atop Mount Pius? If you are the, uh, if you're Angelos and the O's ownership group, and you want to dig your heels in on this, then yes, you are ascending up to Mount Pius and looking down at normal human beings and normal behavior. Um, and making weird judgments about it. Uh, what I predicted is exactly what is playing out, though. I said this was such a ridiculous situation that I bet you when enough people start to be offended on your behalf, which, by the way, you know, you can be a resident of Mount Pius for being offended on behalf of other people. That's kind of um, what I was, I, was, I was angling at. That's what, kind of what I meant. In this case, 
this has worked out. The rally around from around the, the world for Kevin Brown has immediately led to like, hey, he's getting bigger time gigs than this now on yeah. ESPN. He's under ESPN contract. He's going to get more primetime slots. So, so this petulant act by O's ownership um, is, I don't know if it's going to come back to bite them ultimately as long as the feel-good story continues on the field for the O's this season. People will forget about it. But it's going to benefit Kevin Brown, probably not hurt him. It was an asinine thing. <laughs> yeah, it made no sense. Uh, yeah, good for Kevin Brown, who we know a little bit uh, in this city. Did some Blue Jays games on the radio a couple of years ago. Uh, Dave, this was a pleasure. We'll meet you in the Eastern Conference Final. Yeah, and in the meantime, enjoy. I don't know if you guys heard, but just a couple weeks from now, uh, football starts. Oh, is that correct? Yeah, no, I know. We we'll... are in the dog days, though. In the meantime, we are in the dog days. Yeah. Why? Because you can watch people embarrassing themselves right now all over, talking about, did you see that block in camp? Mm-hmm. This is all. But that, that, that's, that's nothing compared to what we're about to get, which is the mountain of video highlights from these preseason games. As a reminder, if you're mm. a better, if you're a gambler, it's all a lie for your eyes. If you are a diehard <laughs> fan and you want to get optimistic, talk yourself into it. Don't pivot off of what you see in these meaningless preseason games. As I always say, they are a lie for your eyes. They are football's version of a Civil War reenactment. They only look real. How, how dare you? I saw that Bryce Young was fitting it into, like, little tiny windows today. It was unbelievable what Bryce Young was doing. How dare you, Dave? <laughs> and go bet him for uh, rookie of the year. You'll be in good shape. If he made a good throw in practice, that's, how can that not be? I <laughs> uh, appreciate the time, Dave. Thanks. Anytime, man. So, yeah, there's Dave Damashek, host of the Minus 3 podcast. Uh, he's from Pittsburgh, no longer lives there, lives in uh, Los Angeles. But his uh, Penguins, playing with house money, having won three cups, uh, been to four finals, get a future Hall of Famer. Bunch of huge uh, future Hall of Famers on that Penguins team. Hall of Fame is nice. Level of excellence, much better. Jose Bautista headed up there on Saturday uh, as the Blue Jays return home after this road trip. Who's next after Jose Bautista? Well, if you follow me on Twitter, you've probably weighed in. And maybe you're offended. Uh, J.D. Bunkus was kind of offended. He of the J.D. Bunkus podcast, 9 to 10 on Sportsnet 590, the fan. How dare I say that the guy that's like third in hits in Blue Jays franchise history, one of the greatest center field defenders ever, should be put on the level of excellence. What a bad take that was. One of the greatest center field defenders ever. I must have missed that. In the history of the franchise. Yeah, I mean, he's behind now Kevin Kiermeyer, Dalton Varsho, <laughs> uh, Kevin Pillar. But yeah, no, Pardon he's really great. me. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, like, <laughs> <All right. laughs> yeah. He won three gold gloves. He won three yeah, gold gloves yeah, in center field. Uh, anyway, no, I like Vernon Wells. And I, 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 by the way, just let me weigh in on the Kevin Brown thing before I go, okay? Because okay. I, I need to do that. I was listening to you and Damashek, and yeah, uh, I don't think I'm going to do it on mine. Tomorrow, just because it's it's starting to get a little stale, and yes. I forgot to fit it in today. But okay, so level of excellence time. Your your position is just simply Vernon Wells should go next, but Edwin Encarnacion should go in, and like I, I can't really gripe with this too much. Vernon Wells is one of the franchise's best players ever. I think that if in terms of weirdest athlete connection to the city guys. Yeah. 
it's incredible that we as Torontonians and as Toronto sports fans have forgiven Vince Carter. Yeah. Because a Netflix made a documentary about him and Grange basically screwed over everybody who's like, Grange wanted so badly to be on Netflix that he was like, yeah, let's rewrite this history, everyone. You know, like, let's rewrite this entirely. That everyone went, yes, the guy who genuinely quit on the franchise set them back, what, at least a decade, Mm -hmm. right? Like, Vince Carter forced his way out to the New Jersey Nets in exchange for a guy that would not play here and two bums named Williams. And people are like, it's cool, Vince. No, he wanted, he he, he called it off at the last second. It's Rob Babcock. We should all be mad at Rob Babcock. Of course. Of course it is. Of course. Yes, yes, yes. Like, We've, we've completely rewritten that history, and Vince Carter now is embraced, and we do the greatest Raptors of all time debates, and we throw him in there, and we say, Vince Carter, all is forgiven. And yet Vernon Wells was awesome at baseball and signed a contract in a sport where <laughs> when you're awesome, you get a lot of money, and people were like, we hate your guts. Yeah. And, and, and we'll never forgive you. And the organization in him... I don't know all of the details of it. You and I have had the opportunity to speak to Vernon Wells. This is probably a better question for a guy like, you know, Shai Davidi, who is a historian of the club, or Jeff Blair. But it's it's all-time weird that a guy with the accomplishments who spent, what, 12 seasons here, Vernon Wells? Yeah, he had 12 seasons at almost 1,400 games. That 12 seasons here, the guy is pulling on your thing of, like, should he be in the level of excellence? And people are like, vehemently, no. Yeah. Odd. No, it's, it's so odd. It's really weird. Like he had an OPS over 800 in his tenure, and yeah, he, even when they finally got the contract off the books, his final season for the Blue Jays, he played almost 160, played 157 yep. games, had an OPS of 847. He hit 31 yep. bombs, like and, and hit 273, and and was an, an All Star. But for for I, I I was gonna say for some reason, and I understand the reason. It's because those teams weren't good, and he was kind of. The face of, of, of disappointment and the contract was onerous for a team that didn't have a ton of financial flexibility or was unwilling to use its financial flexibility. I, I just, sure. I, I think the Edwin thing, yeah, he's probably the next guy that's going in, although, man, He's Jimmy, not probably the next guy. He's he's definitely the next guy. I, 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 but I think and, you're and already... You say this. Okay, go ahead. Even though it's my show, go ahead. This... No, well, the, but I, like I said all that stuff about Vernon Wells to say, like, I feel awkward taking the position of Edwin over Vernon because of all those things. Like, I, I don't think that Vernon Wells needs another detractor. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. But, but you'll be one. The, like, but I'm not going to be one. I'm just <laughs> saying, like, if the question is who should go up next, if like, who is the level of excellence? Let me ask you this. Who is the level of excellence for? Uh, it's, it's for me. Only me yeah. and what and what I <laughs> yeah. want. Yeah, it's obviously oh. for the fans. Yeah, yeah, it's for the fans of the yeah. team, and of course. But I will say that, like, I think the idea of, of of recognizing certain eras is is important, and that's been done obviously with the championship teams, and those guys should get like unequal wow. representation because they won two championships, and that, that's all well and good. And sure. Joe Carter didn't spend a lifetime here, but he spent decent enough uh, amount of time. He spent seven seasons, but hit the most impactful home run in the history, like one of the top 10 in the history of, of the sport. So yeah, like nobody's quibbling about Joe Carter. And I think, you know, uh, there's a Carlos Delgado who kind of bridged the the next gap and there was some crossover yep. b- between Delgado and Wells. But yeah, there's nobody from that era and, and there is a deserving guy. And it's a guy who accumulated stats 
um, and was a really, really He's good not player. A position player from that time because Roy Halladay. Yes, Roy Halladay is off. Yes, there's there's not a position player. I I, you know, I saw a lot of people uh, pining for Jimmy Key and and Tom Hankey, which I can't disagree with either. But like, yeah, that that era has been represented. But those those guys have have cases as well. I would just say that the Bautista thing kind of for for this. Uh, for for as far as the the next guys that are going up there is kind of my representation of fifteen sixteen. Bautista is it? Okay, okay. So we agree then that success should be one of the highest markers of this. We agree that it's for the fans, mm-hmm. and we agree that it shouldn't be linear. Like if it's not Jimmy Key and Hanky going up, right? Mm-hmm. Then like if your case isn't, it should be one right. of those yeah. two guys next. Yeah, it's not. Yeah, you mean it, it it's not chronological? It's not like hey, we can't go back and yeah. add guys. Yeah, exactly. Like that's the point. Is like you know, then I don't feel like the urgency with Vernon Wells. I also think like. Whatever the weirdness between Vernon Wells and the Toronto Blue Jays, it doesn't seem to be fully settled, right, from either side. And so, I don't know, maybe let that play out. I, it just doesn't feel that urgent to me. I, I think that it's cool celebrating Edwin. Like, if you're asking me who should go next, I don't particularly care. I know that doesn't make great radio, but it's these are supposed to be fun days down at the ballpark, a cool special day where you're actually in an event, you know, something that breaks up a 162, and you can say, I was there for the Jose Bautista game, right? And to me, the question was simply, like, who deserves to go up next? And you said it should be Vernon. And I, I think that if it was like, we agree that this is for the fans and that mm. it doesn't need to be chronological, then no, the next guy is Edwin Encarnacion. He is one of well, the greatest fan favorites. Yeah. He's universally beloved, franchise. right? Like you're not going to find I mean. somebody to say, hey, something negative about Edwin Encarnacion Dude. because, yeah, exactly. well, he was, a, he was a great player and he played in a great era. And, yeah, you can, while they're incorrect, but you can find more than a few Blue Jays fans to, to say something negative about Vernon Wells, like yourself. Bingo. Bingo. People don't want to relive 20, uh, you know, 2008 yeah. with the Toronto Blue Jays. They don't have the need for that. But what's, it's I mean, nice to be able to break it out and go, hey, do you remember 2016 when sure. Edwin that's, hit that's, the walk-off what is and the we point? got to all pretend like Buck Showalter is the biggest idiot? No, the point is, is that this thing is for the fans. Yes. And the two guys have very similar resumes. They're both three-time All-Stars. Yep. They're both guys that hit a bunch of home runs and Edwin hit way more. Yeah, but that, the Fernand Wells did more than just hit home runs, right? Like, they're, they're a very different players like Vernon Wells incredible value playing defense at the most premium outfield defensive position yes but again Edwin Encarnacion represented a bash brother to Jose Bautista during that entire stretch essentially those two guys felt like they were going to pummel you in the middle of your order that was like the identity of Toronto Blue Jays teams that people love and so again if it's for the fans and it's about celebrating moments people want to celebrate like what is your most memorable Vernon Wells memory. And I'm not being, I'm I'm really not trying to be annoying here because you're someone who's cared about this franchise for a long time. No, like like I I honestly, like I do have one and it was, it was a regular season game that I was covering and at uh, Rogers Center for, I think it was either a walk-off home run or or actually it was a walk-off home run off Mariano Rivera at at Rogers Center, which was... That's awesome. That's great. I remember asking him if it was was the highlight of his career, and he's like, well, I hope, like, to this point, I hope there's more to come. But, yeah, I remember a walk-off home run against Mariano Rivera. 
What a crappy answer. It's like you hit the walk-off bomb against the greatest closer who ever lived, and you're like, eh. It's, it reminds me of, uh, <laughs> reminds me of Norm McDowell's Burt Reynolds. Like, eh, eh. <laughs> like, real dismissive of it. Just like, Anyways, I, really I think that the level of excellence should, should be um, where we put the best players in the history of the franchise, which is, like, I think obvious. And I think Vernon Wells is one of the greatest players in the history of this franchise. Like, he's, well, we agree he's, about that. We I, agree I know. On that. Yeah. So I guess we're parsing at that point, but I just feel like... No, we are. The debate here is like one of... If the position is which one of these guys should go up next, I told you that I do not think that they are comparable in terms of the no. interest level to fans. And of I outlined not. like... Buddy, like... But, but and to I, you, you're kind of trying to undercut it where you're like, it's not Vernon Wells' fault that he was on bad teams. It's not. It's like, but it's not, well, though. I mean, <laughs> and, sure. And that's the only reason, right? Like, that. that is the only reason that Edwin Encarnacion gets the the universal acclaim from fans and it's why vernon wells doesn't yes 100 percent, it does why no man because edwin encarnacion was not a man of many words obviously like the guy didn't like speak english the entire time essentially that he was here but he had like a, a lovable persona like he had a huge smile he was a big jovial guy he hit bombs and he walked it off with the parrot like people liked edwin encarnacion I don't think people liked Vernon Wells. Like, he was not someone... He was the face of, like you said, disappointment. I just think it's strange to remove team success and go like, oh, this shouldn't be, like, a huge marker in this. It's like, it's sports. Like, team success is, like, wildly important. And a slugger is way more important or in terms of to a fan, generally. Uh It's the Simpsons. You guys want to... Talk about Major League Baseball spying, or do you want to see dingers? It's like dingers, and yeah. Edwin was fun. He was dingers. He was the parrot. He was good times in Toronto. Yeah. He was embarrassing Buck Showalter into you know uh, something that should be in the first paragraph of his Wikipedia page. Edwin Encarnacion resonated with people here. He was our guy, and honestly, I was thinking about this. Even I didn't say this on Twitter. Like Edwin left and was a sympathetic figure. Sure. It was, we should have paid this guy. And the front office stupidly thought that they could replace him with Kendrys Morales. Mm-hmm. And then the guy was awesome for three more seasons. And Blue Jays fans tried to cope by going, well, if Edwin wouldn't have left, then we wouldn't have gotten Nate Pearson. It's like, would you have rather had three more seasons of Edwin Encarnacion mashing bombs uh, in Toronto, which he wanted to do, where I think he OPS like an average of like 880 over the next three seasons, or Kendrys Morales and the awful experience that that was, and you know, the three hopeful innings that we've had in Nate Pearson's career. Like, it was a huge mistake. He's a sympathetic guy. The yeah. fan base cares about that stuff. This is for the fans. He is the fan favorite. He is more recent no, in history. I mean, there's we have no those debate. memories fresh. There's no debate Put him up. That's about, what I'm about that stuff. But uh, I think my problem is that, yeah, Vernon Wells is a great player. Um, right. And I feel like he's a sympathetic figure. And I don't want to get into the personality stuff because Vernon was a great personality when he was here. I, 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 like, I had no problem with Vernon Wells' personality. Um, Neither did I. Uh, yeah. But I'm I, saying that if we're talking about guys in terms of like, oh, wow, did the fans really like who this of guy course. was? And, and, it's, but, it's weird that the guy who, like, you know, never gave a quote, period, is remembered as, like, the guy we all loved yeah. and the personality we adored. Because of the team success, which is, you're right, a huge part of it. But I, I, I think it shouldn't be the only part of it. And I think, you know. I, I like remembering some guys. And I think that Vernon Wells in the history of this franchise has gotten some short shrift and people have short memories because of the recent success of 15 and 16 and because there were some unwatchable teams there. And there, there were some very watchable yeah. ones that were, you know, they did, they were uh, 
the problem was playing in the same division as the Yankees and the Red Sox during their heyday without additional wild cards. But anyways, Vernon Wells deserves yeah. credit. That's all. That's all. I, I, that's I, like I the, the end agree. of an end of what I was, you know, trying to 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 espouse on Twitter. That's all. Yeah, okay. I, I completely agree. But if you're telling fans like, hey, you can go to Vernon Wells night, well, but or obviously, you can go to Edwin uh, night. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> obviously. Trying to go to Edwin night and get the whatever Make shirt that's going to have a pair on it. statistical case, yeah. though. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, no, but that's not what this is for. This is, <laughs> yeah, I get it. No, I get that's it. That's exactly I it. Yeah. Both right. guys deserve to be up. And in fact, like, I'm all for this stuff, by the way, like, you know. <sighs> I don't probably shouldn't add this part, but it's like the Blue Jays aren't the Yankees, you know. Mm. So maybe just fire a few more people well, up that's there. It. Like that's that's it. Like, I think Donaldson it should be up there. What's the problem yeah, with that? Like, nah, that's he, so what? That. that MVP year was the greatest yeah. individual season that we'll probably ever oh. see from a Blue Jay. Where you want you so want Kawhi's enjoyable. number retired to and a statue? Yeah. Like I, I I want a statue. I don't know about retiring the number. But anyways, all right. Well, yeah, sure. Okay, yeah. We'll just put something that, you know, can you're like, not something that can be folded away and get dust and be lost, but something immortal outside. No, it's different. Anyways, we'll we'll debate that some other time. All right. Thanks, buddy. See ya. Wait, Kevin Brown. Okay. What what do you have on Kevin Brown? I think everything's been said about Kevin Brown. You have some new take. Go ahead. Oh, this this yes, it is. I'm so jealous of him. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. I am so. Buddy, you can get suspended can... too. Like it's oh. it's really easy. No, it's but no, it's not because <laughs> I've I've said way worse. You know, like mm-hmm. way worse. Well, of and course. Actually, you know, I have been suspended. So there you go. And no one cried. So <laughs> like. <laughs> no one cried one tear when I was suspended uh, in 2018. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, like, I don't know. It seems – I'm just jealous. This guy's so loved. I mm-hmm. – like, imagine the outcry for you over this. Like, it's it, – this guy's set forever. He is yep. famous. I – like, if if you could book – and you could get the let's let's just say this because he does work for the Orioles and he obviously is going to love his job and he's probably going to play ball and come back here. But if you're him, isn't there part of you that goes, "Hey, seek go to your agent and and shop around what you can get right now." Yeah, like, of course. What what can you get right now while the iron's hot? Because I was thinking like if you could get a podcast guest in the sports world right now, completely unfiltered, he's like, "Hi." On the list, mm-hmm. in a world where, you know, Michael Jordan exists. He's not there, obviously. Like, you get Michael Jordan to tell unfiltered. But you could get Kevin Brown. Where, where is he right now in terms of number one podcast guest? like, you could get? Mm-hmm. Like, you see tomorrow on – what's the biggest pod? Pardon my take. That they got Kevin Brown. You JD go, this Bunk is completely podcast. appropriate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course. I'm just saying – I'm so jealous of this guy. Yep. He should be set. I don't think he should go back to the Orioles. If I was giving him any advice, I would say you gotta you gotta strike while the iron's hot here, and then you gotta bury Angelos mm-hmm. and the Orioles, and just go out on the open market and become a new, different guy, become like a national face of baseball. You can't parlay this into a job at you know Fox or at ESPN or somewhere yeah, you know where it's like ESPN. a national baseball guy. Yeah, he already works, he already works for ESPN. Yeah, yeah, he's right, getting well, more ESPN gigs. Um, but yes, it's a great take. Can't wait for your next suspension. Uh, I'll, I'll be giving you the yeah. same advice, okay? <laughs> yeah, yeah, See you, yeah. buddy. Your, your advice at the time was don't quit. But yeah. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Bye, buddy. Yeah. There's J.D. Bunkus, host of the J.D. Bunkus uh, podcast, uh, 9 to 10 on Sportsnet 5, 9 in the fan. All right, uh, when we come back, 
Canadian Open has a new date and maybe good. Probably not, though. Uh, we'll talk to Adam Stanley as uh, the fan drive time continues. I'm Ben Ennis, Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Covering the Raptors in depth like no one else. The Raptor Show with Will Lou. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Fan Drive Time, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. I'm Ben Ennis. Blue Jays baseball coming your way after 7 o'clock. Blair and Barker coming up after the top of the clock. But starting next year, the Canadian Open going to be played in May for the first time, just barely. But it's going to go May 30th to June 2nd at Hamilton Golf and Country Club. So it moves up a week. So that's two weeks after the PGA Championship, two weeks before the U.S. Open. It'll also be played one week before the Memorial. Uh, let's talk to Adam Stanley, uh, Adam Stanley, Sportsnet golf writer, who joins us now. How's it going, Adam? Pretty good, man. How are you? I- I'm good. So, is this good? Is this bad? Uh, what does this mean for the Canadian <laughs> Open? Yeah, it's it's definitely u- unique, and, and I think it's because it, it could honestly it could go e- either way. Um, the last couple of years, a lot of guys, you know, may, maybe they don't want to play uh, the week before a major. Uh, certainly this year, uh, playing in Toronto and then going to L.A. for the U.S. Open, that was a haul. We we didn't see the greatest of fields this year at the Canadian Open, but you know what? It didn't matter. Nick Taylor won, and he mm-hmm. did it in an absolutely spectacular fashion. So the tournament's going to go down in history as one of the best ever. Um, moving forward, it's going to be unique to see who is going to come to play the Canadian Open um, who don't like playing the week before a major, you know, the Memorial uh, Muirfield village where the golf tournaments played um, is a very, very hard golf course. It's just went underwent a bunch of changes as well. There may be some guys who aren't going to be motivated to get punched in the face two weeks in a row playing Muirfield and then playing the U S open the travelers the week after the U S open, that event has, has no cut. The Memorial does have a cut. Obviously, the U.S. Open uh, will have a cut. And then there's the Canadian Open. So um, it really remains to be seen. You know, Rory's the kind of guy who plays four in a row. It's no harm, no foul. So it's not totally foreign for guys to play four in a row. It's also not totally foreign for a bunch of guys to take the week off prior to a major, even if it is a designated event that's coming in instead of just a regular event. So uh, a lot of lot of factors here at play. I'm definitely going to be curious to see how the weather is going to impact yeah. this tournament being played in Southern Ontario <laughs> and still in May. Um, so uh, this was a very roundabout answer, but again, it, it's one of those things where it's like, see how the chips fall. This is the kind of date that golf Canada always wanted. And if this is what it's going to be, if it's going to be in June, it's kind of this or, or nothing. The tournament wasn't going to go any other spot. Yeah. I mean, end of May, early June should in theory be have decent weather, but uh we live in reality where where it's it's quite often not. Um so I I was interested to to find out that these well, one, they're they're called signature events, no yep. longer designated events, and that there there's no longer any financial pe- penalty for missing them. Like there's you you can miss them next year without like taking a a financial hit. Like it it's just it's supposed to be a positive reinforcement thing where it's a, sh- a shorter field for the most part and, and higher purses, yeah. but nobody gets dinged if they miss them. That's, that's exactly right. It's kind of like they're saying, well, you would be, you would be dumb to miss them. So why, why are you doing that this year? Everything kind of came together really, really fast. Uh, and they said like, uh, if you're in the pip, if you want to get the pip money, 
um, you need to play all these events, but you can miss one. You can miss one and it's okay. Rory ended up missing two and he got dinged, uh, I think to the tune of like $3 million or something like that for missing, for missing the heritage. Next year, you don't have to play all of the designated events, even if you're in them, um, but the most of them. So uh, Jack Nicholas's event, the Memorial, Arnold Palmer's event uh, at Bay Hill, and Tiger's event at Genesis, they all have cuts, but all of the other ones, the other five signature events, they don't have cuts, and there's only 70 guys, and they still have that $20 million purse. So why why would you skip them uh, mm-hmm. if you've got such a guaranteed payday? But you know, again, maybe there's going to be guys out there who, who if they don't have to be somewhere, if it doesn't work with their own personal cadence, then they won't, uh, they won't go, no matter how much money they, they could potentially be losing. No, and, and in general, I, I think I agree with you that it doesn't, like the depth of field isn't super important as long as there's Canadians in the mix and there's so many good Canadians on the PGA Tour that, you know, you, you figure somebody on Sunday is going to be within shouting distance of, of the lead. And maybe now that the pressure's off after Nick Taylor's win, that yeah. we'll, we'll see even more Canadians near the top of the leaderboard. What, what is the, the situation with RBC's sponsorship of this thing? Because, you know, most people go back uh, a ways and remember Bell's longtime sponsorship of, of the Canadian Open. Um, where are we with, with their long-term commitment to, to this? And does, like, does the, the spot on the calendar matter to them? Um, does the depth of field matter to to the title sponsor of the, of the Canadian Open? Like, is the Canadian Open in good financial shape? Yeah, the, I mean, depth of field for sure is is something. I mean, they worked with Golf Canada to determine, you know, the, the idyllic date. They were super excited about it moving uh, away from that one week after the British Open date a couple of years ago, which makes total sense, they being RBC. Uh, RBC's uh, official sponsorship agreement with both the Canadian Open and the Heritage was supposed to be up at the end of this year. Uh, they have officially renewed for just one more year uh, for both the uh, Canadian Open and the Heritage. The Heritage happens the week after the Masters. It's a signature event. Uh, it was a signature event this year. will be again next year, so it's got that $20 million purse. But the long-term um, the long-term sponsorship situation that we found ourselves in is a serious question mark because they, they being the bank, along with basically everyone else in golf, is still kind of waiting to see what this new framework agreement is going to look like between the DP World Tour, uh, the Saudi government, the PIF, and the PGA Tour, and what kind of the landscape of men's professional golf will look like going forward. So it makes total sense that RBC would only sign kind of a one-year deal 2024 was always going to be kind of a confirmed one calendar year PGA tour calendar. uh, And and none of this other stuff was going to be installed for that particular year, but for 2025 and beyond um, a big question mark, the financial uh, position that the tournament is in right now is actually probably pretty good. Uh, Golf Canada itself, I think has got 30 kind of key partners that sponsor a variety of their programs in in different ways. So, you know, I think if they had to cobble something together for maybe one year or two, Mm -hmm. just in case they, they probably could. Um, But RBC is super involved with golf in this country beyond just uh, the Canadian open. They, they're basically any kind of high level amateur, um, you know, junior community development stuff. RBC is a, is a big part of it. So um, yeah, one more year, a hundred percent with them. And then everyone will have to kind of just see what this new framework looks like um, for, for any kind of kind of go forward planning or, or conversations. Uh, speaking of the new framework, uh, PGA tour commissioner, Jay Monahan uh, with a, a very well-timed, 
leave of absence. And listen, I, I'm sure that very stressful, and I'm sure there was a lot of anxiety that he's had to go through over the last couple of months. But he's he's back now as commish, and he spoke to a bunch of the players earlier this week. And I, I, I guess, I mean, it's not so much a story anymore because, you know, just the passage of time has removed us from the shock of the the merger between the PGA Tour and the Saudi government. But I like you don't hear too many stories. Like there's some positive stuff coming out of the players as far as them welcoming Monahan back. Like I, I really thought it was the like he would just take his money and go home, and that he would never be permitted by the players to to continue as commissioner. But I, is that likely to happen? Yeah, <laughs> it's, it, you know it's a it's an interesting time for him because obviously. You know, you tip your cap, you're glad to see another human being emerge from a medical, a scary medical situation to be, you know, better and kind of on the other side of that. So, you know, that's kind of point number one. The the other point is there's been a lot of kind of trickle-down departures on the PGA Tour. We had one guy, uh, Randall Stevenson, who was a, a super high-up guy at AT&T. You know, he left the board um, because he just wasn't comfortable with where things had gotten to and, and what kind of some of the go-forward planning was going to be. Uh, Andy Pazner, who was kind of the chief tournaments officer, had been with the PGA Tour for 30 years. Uh, he just resigned immediately uh, this week uh, as well. And so you're looking at you know who's still around Jay Monahan and everything that Jay Monahan did and the kind of you know sneaky way about. Uh, the entire go forward plan for men's professional golf. And, um, you know, he fully admitted that people would call him hypocritical. And he, today he fully admitted that he should have flown to Toronto uh, the day prior to the announcement, told all the players and then had the announcement come out versus doing the big rush. So I, you know, I, if I'm going to answer you specifically, I'm kind of leaning towards Jay Monahan maybe not being in his position. Let's call it after 2025, just because there has been, so many factors installed in um, the the surrounds, I guess. The like, oh boy, what is going to happen next kind of thing. And, and maybe, you know, everyone on the tour, including the players, are just looking for a fresh start when this new framework it, it involves the fresh start as well. Uh, before I let you go, I've got about a minute here. Uh, you have a, a great uh, interview with Brooke Anderson that people should uh, read about on sportsnet.ca right now. Uh, we got the, the final... Uh, major of the of the women's calendar the the women's open this weekend what should we expect from henderson who's uh, sitting on two majors yeah so aig women's open fifth and final uh lpga tour major of the season like you said brooks coming in this week after a second place finish at the evian championship the last major uh, a couple weeks ago um all the best in the world are teeing it up this week she said that her ball striking is really going to have to be the thing that she's going to be working on to have success this week it, it hasn't been her strong point so far this season which is odd but she's put a lot of work in and obviously comes into this major off of a fabulous result at the previous major she knows this is a tough time in the schedule busy time in the schedule uh she took last week off just to kind of prepare and, and get more comfortable with that british style of golf uh so this week you know she knows she wants to have a good result and she knows exactly what she needs to do so she feels comfortable and obviously momentum is a big key in uh in golf so she's hoping to build off some of that this week at the final major of the year Sounds good. Adam, uh, great stuff on the website. Thanks for doing this. Thanks, man. No problem. There's Adam Stanley. Again, you can read him on uh, sportsnet.ca. Brooke Anderson already establishing herself as one of the greatest golfers in the history of this country. Looking for major number three this weekend um, in England. All right. It's almost time for Blair and Barker as the Blue Jays trying to secure themselves of at least a series split against a Guardians team that just like they have... Starting pitchers falling out of trees. 
They can't score runs, though. Not, Blue Jays factually could not score a run yesterday. Shut out one to nothing. And uh, David Schneider back in the lineup playing second base. He doesn't know what it's like to lose a Major League Baseball game. Didn't play yesterday. Blue Jays lost. Back in the lineup today. See if he can run his record to 5-0. and uh, Blue Jays have their ace on the mound in Kevin Gossman against the lefty Logan Allen Blair and Barker. We'll get you set for the game coming up next. Day game tomorrow means no fan drive time. We'll be back on Friday. Enjoy the baseball. Enjoy Blair and Barker. I'm Ben Ennis. This has been the Fan Drive Time, Sportsnet 590 The Fan.